0: All uh, right, well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nicholas. Uh, I have the joy of serving as a youth pastor here at Citizens. And if it's your first time here, really want to welcome you to our community. Uh, this morning, I have the privilege of bringing us God's Word, and we're continuing our year long sermon series called Childlike Wonder, where we've been preaching through every story in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And today, we'll be looking at one last story from the Old Testament, from the book of Nehemiah. And so, if you have your Bibles or on your devices, please open with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 3 and 8 to 18, and it'll also be up on the screen behind me. Nehemiah chapter 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. Um, I'd also like to read the last sentence of chapter 7 as well, and so it's just one sentence um, that we'll read, and then we'll read uh, Nehemiah 8, starting in verse 1, okay? So we'll start there, and then we'll read through our text. Let's give our full attention to the reading of God's Word. When the seventh month came, and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks And send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day of the month, the heads of all the families along with the priests and the Levites gathered around Ezra the teacher to give attention to the words of the law. They found written in the law which the Lord had commanded through Moses that the Israelites were to live in temporary shelters during the festival of the seventh month and that they should proclaim this word and spread it throughout their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out into the hill country and bring back branches from olive and wild olive trees and from myrtles, palms, and shade trees to make temporary shelters as it is written. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves temporary shelters on their own roofs, in their courtyards, in the courts of the house of God, and in the square by the water gate, and the one by the gate of Ephraim. The whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the festival for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. This is God's word for us, amen. Please join me in prayer as we ask the Holy Spirit for his help today. Thank you, Lord, that you know us. Every single person in this room, you know how we're feeling today. You know what we've been through this week and where we've been in this season of life. Some of us are doing well, and for your many good gifts, we want to give you thanks. Others of us here are feeling stuck. We're dealing with some bad news, going through a trial feeling alone or let down, and in the midst of our pain, we confess we want to trust you, Lord. We believe you are always with us. Help our unbelief. As we open up your word today, Lord, please apply your grace to our hearts. Help us to sense your nearness. Holy Spirit, help us experience Jesus and his love for us today. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, every week when I'm preaching, uh, I try to come up with a nice illustration or a question that I hope will center us, but this week was just one of those weeks where I don't have that, uh, so I'm just going to give you my outline for today. <laughs> okay, uh, First, we're going to look at the context surrounding our passage, what has happened by the time we get to uh, our text here in Nehemiah 8, what, what's happened leading up to this point and what's going on in the passage that we just read, and then second, as we look in this chapter I'd like to share three ways that I believe God invites us to experience spiritual renewal. And then in closing, we're going to look at God's desire in our renewal. What is God's goal or his aim or purpose in our spiritual renewal? So that's kind of the three uh, stages, I suppose, that we'll be going through today. Okay, so first, what's happened? What's the background and the context surrounding our passage? Uh, If I can summarize it briefly, the people of God have been in exile for 70 years, Now, when we hear that, it doesn't really register with us or mean much to us, but think about this with me. To be in exile, they were conquered by Babylon, a foreign nation. They were taken from their homes, brought into a foreign nation, and forced to relinquish their culture, their way of life, and their identity. Can you imagine what that would do to you? For 70 years, you and everyone you know are taken from your homes, and you're forced to live, to relocate and live in a foreign land among a foreign people. This is the condition that the people were in before we arrive in our passage. So we can understand that the people are not, everything is not going well for them. They're feeling disoriented and confused, maybe hopeful as they return to Jerusalem in Nehemiah 8. Now, why were they in exile? Simply put, because they were not faithful to God. See, God wanted an exclusive covenant relationship with his people, and yet over and over again, the people chose things other than God. And just as God had warned them, covenant unfaithfulness would lead to covenant curses. And so because they continue to break God's law, break their relationship with God, God, as an instrument of judgment, raised up Babylon against their spiritual adultery and idolatry. And, take, and, and Babylon took the people into exile. Now, they've been in exile for 70 years. And God had promised that after 70 years, their exile would come to an end. So the exile comes to an end and a remnant of the people of God return to Jerusalem. And upon their return, everything they see is destroyed and devastated. So what do they do? They get to work. First, they rebuild the temple and then they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And this is where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter eight. We're told that at the beginning of the seventh month, the people all come together. And on this first day of the month, the word of God is read aloud to them. So again, remember, for 70 years, they've not gathered like this in their own land to hear the word of the Lord. And now we're told that as they listened and understood the word of God, the people began to weep, weeping because they recognized their sin. I remember when I was in 10th grade, I was at a youth winter retreat and we were praying and I think that might have been one of the first times I was really struck by the reality of my sin. I remember weeping over my brokenness, sobbing because I started to see how wretched my sins were. This is what's going on. The people are weeping over their sins as they listen to the word of God. Ezra, Nehemiah, the Levites, the leaders tell the people, stop weeping. Don't mourn, don't grieve. This day is holy to the Lord. Instead, go eat some really good food, have some really good drink, share with those who don't have anything prepared, and celebrate. And we're told that's exactly what they do. They stop weeping, and for seven days, the people of God eat together, they drink together, they listen to the word of God together, and they celebrate with great joy. Nehemiah 8 is a picture of spiritual renewal. It's a picture of God taking his people who were in exile, who were lost, disoriented, and restoring his covenant with them. It's a picture of God restoring his relationship with Israel. Spiritual renewal is that mysterious work of God where people who are hard-hearted become sensitive to his word. People who are calloused to their own sins begin to weep over their brokenness. When you experience spiritual renewal, weeping and joy walk hand in hand in God's holy presence. If I can summarize, at its core, spiritual renewal is when God and his people experience harmony once again. About a year ago, February 2023, there was something remarkable that happened at Asbury University. What started as an ordinary chapel service led to weeks of unending praise, prayer, confession, repentance, and salvations. And one of the members of their core leadership team, David Thomas, he described what was going on in this way. Let me read you a quote. For the first few days of the outpouring, it seemed that repentance and forgiveness were almost all we could do. All over the room people were making their way to another, tumbling over one another to make the first move of offering apologies, owning mistakes, forgiving grievances and explaining misunderstandings. The front steps of Hughes Auditorium were populated by people on their phones sending texts of reconciliation and restoration. I've seen videos where this very auditorium is packed with people singing, praying, kneeling, weeping, and even shouting and celebrating as people surrendered their lives to the Lord. Why do I share this story? See, I think for a lot of us, especially if we've grown up in the church, we can read about a story of spiritual renewal in scripture. We can hear about a story of spiritual renewal in the world. But I think a lot of us, myself included, can read something like this and feel very cynical about this idea of spiritual renewal. We can read stories about it. We can see people's lives changing and transforming because of God's grace. We hear crazy stories about people who you would never expect to follow God, falling in love with the Lord, changing their life. And we have these cynical thoughts like, it's all just hype, it's all emotionalism, or so what that they had an experience, it's not going to last. I remember when I was a college pastor, I would hear a lot of postgrads saying things like, wait until the college kids experience the real world. I think the root of our cynicism, if you're cynical in this room, is this. You have a hard time believing God can ultimately change you. The issue in our cynicism is not whether God lacks the power to change people. The issue is, can God really change me? Not the Israelites in Nehemiah 8, not the students at Asbury, but me. Can God really bring about spiritual renewal in my life, in a city like LA? Is this even possible? And if that's you this morning, I wanna encourage you, it is. Nothing is impossible for our God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. So as we look at this text, What are three ways that God invites us to experience spiritual renewal, okay? Three ways that God invites us to experience spiritual renewal. Time, text, and table. All right, I'm learning from Jason, all right? Time, text, and table, okay? So first, time. The first thing we see all throughout the passage is the importance of time, Spiritual renewal is experienced through the act of spending time with God. On the first day of the seventh month, they gather together, and what do they give to the Lord? Their time. From daybreak to noon. At the end of our passage, we're told that day after day, for seven days, they listened to God's word and celebrated this festival. There's this sense here of intentionally setting aside time to be with God. Now, I want to point out here, this idea of spending time with God should never be about clocking in your minutes with God. God is not after some quota of your time. Rather, what I hope we can see and value here is the practice of being intentional with our time. The goal here is not putting in more time. The goal here is being with God. I don't think it's an accident that the first thing that they do after they rebuild the temple and the walls is to set aside a week with the Lord. I think this is God's subtle nod to the fact that he's more interested in building a people who worship than building a place of worship. He's more interested in people who know him than creating a place for people. And this, I think, begs us to ask ourselves, Where in our lives is the Lord inviting us to spend time with him? What areas of your life is Jesus wanting you to cultivate a deeper mindfulness, a deeper awareness of him? And again, this is simply to be with God. It's not to get something from God. It's not to feel better about ourselves it's simply to be with the one who loves us who's inviting us to come and rest in him now that being said i think our primary struggle with this issue of time is that we don't really know how we don't really know how to make time when our lives are already so busy right i'm a dad of 3 young girls The thought of spending more time with God feels like a burden than a delight. It sounds like another thing to do. Okay, if that's you, a few things that I want us to consider together regarding this issue of making time to be with God. Okay, one, any time can be turned into time spent with God. Instead of thinking about adding something to your schedule, What if we could normalize and incorporate a mindfulness of God in your already existing rhythms, okay? If you shower in the morning, that's a great place to meet God. Sometimes the sweetest times for me when I meet with God is in the car when I'm driving to LA and my kids are not there. I feel God's peace. Peace. Sometimes it's while you're changing your kids' diapers, making them their lunches. If you're in school, going to class before or after an exam. As you're up late in the night, feeding your child, putting them back down. These are all opportunities to spend moments with God. One way, another way that I really sense God is when I do dishes. After an especially long day, I come home and I I tell Rochelle, uh, my wife, please just leave the dishes. I want to help with that. Um, And she leaves me dishes. (laughs) And I'm like, why can't it just stay clean, right? And as I'm doing the dishes, uh, rather begrudgingly, um, I sense God. (laughs) He's like, bro, that's you. Uh, My grace makes you clean every day. And I love to take care of you. So in that moment, I'm washing dishes and God is washing my soul, right? (laughs) weepy, as I'm washing dishes, sensing God's nearness, remembering his love for me. See, what are these ordinary moments, ordinary times, ordinary things you do every day that you can perhaps invite God into more consciously, more intentionally, more regularly? I think it says a lot that the festivals where they were celebrating and being with God for seven days, was not just listening to God's word all day long. Right? When we think about spending time with God, I think we have this idea that it's got to be very uh, christian very very like, spiritual in a culturally Christian kind of way. But in the text, it's not a 24-hour sermon. It's not a 24-hour church service. It's not a seven-day retreat. No, they just went about their day after they listened to God's word. They ate, they talked, they drank, they shared stories, shared their lives. And it's in this very normal time that they give to the Lord that they were encountering God and experiencing renewal. Okay, So any time we spend can be time spent with God. Another thing I think we can consider when it comes to this idea of making time to be with God, is that many times, the helpful push you need to spend time with God comes through the community. I love that in our passage, there's no solo superstar. Right, The community enriches everyone's experience of God. You have the people who gather together to listen. You have Ezra reading the book of the law. You have some members, the Levites, helping others with understanding. You get this picture of a communal experience, a communal renewal in the presence of God. And I think that's what we hope to embody here at Citizens. I know that our church has been growing numerically quite a bit as of late. um, And that's one of the challenges that we face. Right? It's harder to go deeper. It's harder to connect more uh, intentionally or meaningfully. I want to challenge us as a community uh, to pursue more than just a, a social relationship. Right? Why? Because I think it would be a great disservice to everyone here if the kind of relationships we pursue in this community are primarily or strictly social. Right? If we can't be as a community for one another that helpful encouragement that tangible presence and ministry of the Spirit, someone who just notices that someone else is down and takes the time to say, "Uh, how are you really doing? I think if we don't uh, grow as a community in this way, all of us will suffer. When we think about putting in more time, what if we could be a community that offers gentle, kind encouragement to one another to incorporate more and more of God into our normal everyday lives? Maybe some of you are here and the helpful push God is offering to you is not something out there, but the helpful push, that first step towards renewal is the person right next to you. And third thing to consider is that our souls do not naturally drift towards God and the things of God. It takes grace-enabled discipline. Okay, let me say this. The next episode button on Netflix will almost always win, okay? 10 more minutes of scrolling on your phone will almost always turn into 30 minutes. See, we're living in a time and an age where there's no shortage of things to do. I remember reading an article that said, with the boom of social media and greater technology, we've essentially eliminated boredom. And I see this in my child. When she can't watch the iPad, she's like, what do I do, I'm so bored. I'm like, you remember that? Remember those days when we were just bored? You would just be on a drive and there's nothing to do but just to be bored? See, we are bombarded and we're living in a world where 10,000 things every day say to us, Can I have just one more minute of your time? See, without an intentionality, we will not drift towards God. We will give our time endlessly away to the 10,000 things that say just one more minute, just one more episode. So yes, we are called to and invited to turn any time spent into time with God. But in addition to that, I just want to submit, I think there's wisdom in scheduling some appointments to be with God. I think there's wisdom in protecting and blocking out some of your time regularly, setting aside time with the intentional and sole purpose of being alone with God. Apostle Paul would say he beats his body and makes it his slave, right? He trains himself to win the prize, right? We need to respond to the Spirit inviting us to cultivate our spiritual disciplines to make time to be with God, okay? Okay. So the first way that we are invited to experience renewal is time. The second is text. Spiritual renewal always happens in partnership with God's word. Okay, if time is the meeting space with God, then the text, the word of God, is the substance of that meeting. Okay, in Nehemiah chapter 8, everything that the people do is a response to God's word. And if you notice, it's not just a casual uh, interaction or listening to God's word, but it's a careful, attentive understanding of God's word, right? In verse 2, they gather men and women and all those who could understand. In verse 3, we're told they listened attentively, carefully. In verse 8, we're told that the word of God is read clearly and explained so people can understand what's being read. The people's interaction with God's word is very intimate, very personal, So much so that the people of God weep because the word of God has such an effect on their lives. Uh, This was a few months, uh, this was many months ago, but I remember meeting uh, with one of the the dads of my youth students, Dr. Daniel, and uh, we talked about a number of things, but one thing he said really stayed with me. Uh, He shared this idea of how when the pressure is on, when you get squeezed by life, then what you truly believe, what's really inside of you will spill out, okay? I know that doesn't sound really revolutionary, but in the moment, it was like, huh. Because it made me think, what's really on the inside of my faith? What's actually genuine about what I believe? I want to ask you this morning rhetorical question, but when life has a way of squeezing you to your limits, what's the thing that's spilling out of your soul? See, when Jesus was in the wilderness, when he was tested for 40 days, when he was squeezed, you know what spilled out of his heart? Scripture. In every moment of Jesus' ministry in life, what you'll see is that he was full of God's word. If as a community we desire to experience spiritual renewal, I think the invitation for us is that we need to be submerged in God's word. We need to treasure God's word, not as optional, not as just good advice, but as vital, as necessary and integral to our life with God. Jesus in the wilderness, quoting the Old Testament, said, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We want to be a community saturated by God's word, to carefully understand God's word. If you're here and you're stuck in patterns of sin, cycles of brokenness, and you're looking for renewal, you're looking for peace and harmony, can I submit to you, yes, therapy and counseling are all good, but you won't experience true freedom, true peace and renewal apart from God's word. True renewal comes from knowing and savoring God's word. And lastly, God invites us into spiritual renewal through the table. Deep spiritual renewal, a restoring of our relationship with God often happens around the table. You know, I can't tell you how many times God ministers to me through table fellowship. This kind of seemingly uh, common, normal act of gathering around a table with people to enjoy good food and good drink. It's a profoundly spiritual exercise. In our passage, what you'll see is that a large part of every day was given to gathering around the table. They would hear the word of God and they would get around the table. The next morning, they would hear the word of God and they would gather around the table. Why? Gathering around the table is a tangible reminder that God is our provider and our protector. This feast that God instituted was a physical, tangible manifestation of God's... uh, tangible reminder of God's provision. It was a reminder to them that in the wilderness, God provided. It was a reminder to them that on their way to the promised land, God provided. Every time you and I gather around the table, every time we enjoy good food, good company, it's a tangible and personal reminder for us that God provides. It teaches us to remember that everything that we have comes from the generous hand of God. I think so much of our anxiety and worry today is a result of having a lack of confidence that God provides. We're at the table, but we're thinking about the next meal. When we gather around the table, it's an invitation for you and for me to remember we are God's children, and God is our Father, and He will take care of us. Some of us in this season have been so busy and we have learned to not sit at the table. In fact, culture rewards this kind of workaholism. A parent who is grinding away, working late into the night that they skip the dining table, they skip their dinners and their meals with their family. Why? So they can make a little bit more money. Culture esteems that and says, wow, that's a man of sacrifice. Wow, that's a woman of sacrifice but that couldn't be further from the truth. Some of us, if we want to experience renewal, we need to stop doing, stop producing, stop achieving, stop working, and sit down at the table. We have no idea the kind of miracles God performs around tables. God invites us to renewal by gathering around the table Okay, now before we close, I just want to talk about one last but very important part of spiritual renewal, okay? God's desire in our spiritual renewal. Why, Why does God want us to experience spiritual renewal? What's his aim and what's his purpose, okay? There's something really beautiful about this passage. The people are weeping because they're convicted by the word of God, and yet three times they're commanded, stop weeping. Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Levites say to the people three times, this day is holy to the Lord, don't mourn, don't weep, don't grieve. Now when I hear that, if I'm honest, that's weird to me because in my mind, to me, preaching that results in God's people weeping over their sins sounds pretty good, sounds pretty right. Like, I I don't know about Jason and DC, but I've never preached a sermon that resulted in the mass weeping of God's people over their sins, right? Like, that sounds pretty peak preaching to me. (laughs) If, like, someone preached the word of God and, like, the whole church is weeping over their sins, I would be like, that's amazing. See, but that's actually not God's ultimate desire. Did you know that? And this is something that's kind of puzzling to me because I think I'm learning this in real time. When I think of God's holiness, when I hear this day is holy to the Lord, I think of reverence. I think of worship. I think of bowing down. The idea is kind of putting distance between me and God. Crying over sins sounds right and proper. And yet, what I'm learning and what I want to share with you this morning is that while I don't think that's wrong, I'm realizing that's not God's ultimate goal for us. I'm learning and I see in our text that God's holiness is supposed to provoke something in us deeper than grief and mourning, and it's joy. In verse 10, Nehemiah says, don't grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's an odd thing to say, right? People are grieved over their sins, they're getting right with God, and Nehemiah says, do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 12, after the people are told not to grieve, do you know what it says? It says, the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. What did they understand? See, I think oftentimes... We hear an invitation to renewal and we think God's aim or desire is our grief over our sins. But God's desire in our renewal is not ultimately our grief over sins. God's desire for you and for me is to rediscover his joy over us. God's desire in renewal is not that you and I would feel bad It's that we would look up and see how overjoyed God is to love us, even though we're bad. Do you know this morning that the God of heaven and earth, when he looks down and sees you today, he is overjoyed with you. He is giddy and happy with you. That even in spite of all of your repeated mess, he delights in you. That God's heart is moved as you come to him. That you make God joyful. See, because if we could understand this, if we could believe this, how could that not become our strength when we feel crushed by our own sins? See, God's desire in our renewal is for you and me to rediscover God's joy over us. And in fact, God is so committed in his joy over us that, you know, the end of this book doesn't end well. Even after all of this, the people fail yet again to keep God's covenant. But because God is so committed, God's joy is so unhindered, in time, he would send them not just a prophet or a priest who could explain the word, but he would send them the living word, the son of God, to renew them. In time, God would take the the very nature of a servant. He would step down into our time to live and walk amongst us, to become like one of us. In Jesus, we would see the fulfillment of God's perfect laws, the perfect word made flesh. And before his crucifixion, sitting at a table, across his confused disciples who would shortly abandon him in his greatest hour of need, he would say to them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Going to the cross, Jesus would be destroyed for your sins and for my sins so that in him we might be renewed. And Hebrews 12 tells us this, that Jesus endured that cross. Jesus endured that destruction. Why? Because of the joy that he had the joy of being with us forever. I pray that as we, uh, as a church, want to grow deeper with God, as we sense God's call to, to linger in his presence, to spend time with him, I pray that all of us would rediscover more and more of God's joy over us. Let's pray. Instead of uh, trying to make commitments and pray about which of the three that we could work on, uh, I thought it would be appropriate if we would just ask God uh, to help us um, understand his great joy and delight over us. Instead of trying to kind of earn our way into God's grace and favor, uh, what if in light of today's message, we could just pray and say God, would you show me? Would you show me in Christ how much you delighted me? Would you make your love and your joy over my life real to me again? Let's come before him with great need, like little children with faith, and let's ask God to show us his joy and his delight over us, and then I'll close our time. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us today. We thank you that your love for us, it doesn't change. It's constant and steady. And We thank you, God, that uh, you are always welcoming us into your presence. You're always inviting us um, back to you. Uh, help us, God, with Uh, Eyes of faith. Um, With a tender heart, God, help us to, to sense, to know how much you delight over us. How much you are rejoicing and are happy with us. Yeah, do that deep work in our hearts, Lord. We commit this time and this service and the rest of our gathering to you. We thank you for your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.